From WGBH in Boston, you're listening to Ground Truth, human stories from the front lines. The following report contains some disturbing images. The U.S. is blaming the Syrian government of Bashar al-Assad for a deadly chemical attack. The black flags of the Islamic State organization can be seen in the distance. Some of the globe's most powerful militaries are vying for influence in Syria. This is urban warfare at its most difficult. The shelling and rocket fire by Syrian government forces has been indiscriminate. Look, from a humanitarian standpoint, I'd love to help, but we have our own problems. We have so many problems that we have to solve. The war in Syria rages on. It's killed about 400,000 people now, and 11 million people have fled their homes. It's hard to capture in words what that means, the destruction of a country, the loss of so much life. And it's hard to imagine the sorrow of leaving your country, your family, your home. How do you convey just how difficult it is to start anew, or the amount of effort it takes to try and remember what you once knew? For a refugee, memory is often their only possession. As-Salik is a band in the Syrian diaspora that tries through its music to dig through the rubble and find those memories. I'm Charles Sennett, founder of the Ground Truth Project, and in this episode, we're following this band. Its members are all displaced by the war, spread across Lebanon, Turkey, Sweden, Syria, Germany, and the Netherlands. There was plenty of material for them to write music about, and plenty of obstacles. Asalik took the uncertainty of constantly looking for a new home and turned it into music. For their founder, Ahmed Nafouri, it gave him a literal way out, taking him places musically and geographically he never thought he would go. Ground Truth Jad Khalil spent months following Ahmed and his band and brings us their story. When Ahmed Nafouri was in high school in Damascus, he walked into a bodega and fell in love. And he saw like the owner, he's just have a guitar in the hand and playing ting, 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 me, me, me. Then I thought, oh my God, how much is nice sound. La, 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 children's and you know, he felt in love. He learned to play and write his own music. He had no way of knowing then that this was the beginning of an epic journey, musically and literally. But some signs were there. Even before the revolution in Syria started, his first songs had shades of politics in them. Hazulat is a song he wrote about Syria's stagnation. The word Hazulat means damn it, but in a way that means screw that. It's an objection and a call to action at the same time. It's kind of to, to tell people like, damn it, there is no bread in the bakery, there is no like a green field anymore, and there is even no, no water inside the well, you know. Damn it, damn it, damn it. You know, like it's kind of like we protest, protesting. Then, in 2011, while Ahmed was a university student, real protests started. (laughs) 
when uh, the revolution start or when the revolution the arabic spring start i thought about huh hasulat you know damn it then ahmed wrote more political songs i wish we could play some for you here but ahmed says it could put some former bandmates who are still in syria in danger that isn't just paranoia in the winter of 2012 syria's secret police the mukhabarat showed up at ahmed's door one day looking for him they the the mukhabarat you know they just uh, ask about me at home while i were in different place then my mother she called me and say don't come back home actually it was so tough when i left damascus because i just had to leave you know I have some hours just to cross the, bo- the borders. And then I made it. And soon, he was in a place where it felt like most of the people around him weren't thinking at all about what was happening in Syria. The Lebanese capital, Beirut, is only two hours away from Damascus. But as a city, it's way different, even before the war. Damascus is stoic, historic, and communal. It invites you to sit down and take in your surroundings. Beirut is flashy, glistening, and individualistic. It pressures you to go out and aspire to be the center of attention. This is Beirut. It was a huge shock and the beginning of a long period of instability in Ahmed's life. He often described it to me like having blurred vision. He didn't know what the future held, so we used music to play his way through it. Oh my God, it felt so strange. Like, it's, it's weird, you know, like, you just left and you are like, ugh. Where you wake up, where, where I am now, what, what should I do, you know? But he did figure out something to do. Ahmed played in some bars, worked as a sound producer, and when he felt just a bit more stable, he decided to form a band. Like, I'm always searching for good musicians and good human beings to, to be with me, you know? Eventually, he had his band, Asalik. The name is really important to them. Asalik means bandits or rebels. It was the name of a group of pre-Islamic rebel poets. They had names like He Who Brings Trouble in His Armpit and wrote such scathing sarcasm that tribal leaders paid them to never publish it. They robbed caravans and distributed the wealth in acts of generosity. It's like Robin Hood, you know, in, but in Arabic way. I took to Asalik soon after meeting them on a humid July afternoon. They were pretty laid back. I liked the influences they drew on traditional Syrian music, Japanese cartoons dubbed in Arabic, and most of all, humor. When I meet a Salik, there are four members. Band practices at Muhammad Khayata's apartment. Everyone defers to him because he's the band's de facto manager. That's Sam Abdullah, the oud player and frontman who sings like he's crooning beneath a girl's window. There's Abudi Jatal, the thoughtful percussionist with the killer mustache. He seems to know everyone in the cultural scene in Beirut. He's often the butt of jokes and teased by the other band members. And there's Ingrid Hanesdal, an incredibly talented Norwegian violinist and the only non-Arab in the band. You may have some idea about what makes being a Syrian musician hard. There's war, sectarianism, ISIS, censorship, 
and the secret police asking your mom where you are. That's at home in Syria, but it doesn't stop there. Abroad, there's a wave of anti-Syrian prejudice directed at refugees that can wear anybody down. And in Lebanon, there's another way to kill the music. Bureaucracy. To be a professional musician in Lebanon, you have to pay about 300 bucks a month to get an artist license. The band members think it's ridiculous that they need to get such expensive paperwork. But they have to get it anyway. Sam, the romantic oud player, gets his papers by playing love songs in a fancy restaurant. He likes it there. But one night, a painful and common problem for Syrians in Lebanon reared up. They were four guys, Lebanese. Uh, when they knew that I am Syrian, they started to, to do something like uh, joking about me. Uh, then I felt uh, so bad. <laughs> you know, here the Syrian is not, uh, is not a good thing. You know that. Yeah. Here in Lebanon, the Syrian is not a good thing. Sam was so humiliated, he left the restaurant. The lead singer Ahmed was feeling this discrimination too. So they took that bureaucracy and humiliation and spit it back out as music. One of their most powerful songs is called Suri Asil, or Authentic Syrian. It talks about a Syrian guy trying to talk to some Lebanese women, but what it's really about is vanity and prejudice in Lebanon. Sam is singing, tall and tan and so pretty, see how her hair flies. Tall and tan and so pretty, look how small her hips are. I asked her about her name and she said, go to hell. After many rejections, the Syrian guy realizes how shallow this woman is. When she asks him, where are you from? He replies, I'm authentic Syrian. Even as the band was navigating Lebanon, finding workarounds and not getting in trouble, Ahmed wanted them to live up to Asalik's name. He wanted them to be rebels and to push boundaries. Suri Asil is obviously cheeky, but other songs are righteous. During one concert, one of the bandmates was unwilling to say the word arsad. It's a hard word to translate. It's someone who's manipulative and a suck-up, but it's much, much more vulgar. The lyrics go something like this. The time for chivalry has passed, and now we're in the time of puns. The time for chivalry has passed, and now we're in the time of arsad. But one vocalist wouldn't sing that word. When the verse came up for the second time, Ahmed sang it for him. Profanity can be taboo in Lebanon and can get you in trouble. To everyone's relief, nothing bad happened. At least not right away. The band had pretty much gotten off the ground by the fall of 2015. Three years of hard work were paying off. They were playing weekly shows and Ahmed was headed to play at a festival in Tunisia with his drummer, Khayata. But as he was leaving, Lebanon gave him a going away present. On the airport in Lebanon, they stamped me. I couldn't come back. I'm not allowed to come to return to Lebanon for one year. Maybe Ahmed was kicked out for playing without an artist's license, or for breaking taboos, or for being political, or all of the above. He doesn't know. I was surprised by how he reacted. 
He had spent three years trying to build a new life. Then he had the rug pulled out from under him. But instead of feeling despondent, he felt liberated. I just went to the plane and then I felt freedom. Really, I felt so amazing feeling. When I fly from Lebanon, I felt ugh, goodbye Lebanon. I felt like now everything it will be fine. Ahmed posted a video of him and Khayata by the beach in Tunisia, singing authentic Syrian. They added a new lyric, though. I'm an authentic Syrian, and they deported me. Even though Ahmed was happy to be kicked out of Lebanon, the reality of how useless his Syrian passport was really sunk in. Yeah, there is a couple of uh, places where you could travel like Syrian without passport, but you don't want to travel there. Like uh, Sudan, for example, I mm. think, or Somalia, you know, from disaster to other, you know, disaster. Syrians actually do need a visa, yeah. even to go from one war zone, Syria, to another, Somalia. It was a little bit panicking time because I'm were afraid also they will not let me. I felt in Tunisia, I felt it creepy, actually. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe because of this, like... Uh, instability, you know what I mean? It's like so much I felt unstable. So Ahmed flew to Turkey, one of the few countries he could go to with the Syrian passport. Then we thought what we could do, what we could do. Then I called Kuku. Kuku is Claudia, Ahmed's German fiance. They met at the concert in Lebanon. She's usually looking at Ahmed dotingly. He's usually looking at her with a mischievous smile. And together, they came up with a plan to get Ahmed to Europe. Ahmad said, we are, can you come? Uh, and I said, when? And he said, tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, let me book a flight. So I booked a flight, went to Turkey. As luck would have it, Ahmed had already applied for a visa to play at a festival in Amsterdam, and it was waiting for him back in Beirut. Since he couldn't go get it himself, the plan was that Claudia would take his passport from Turkey to Lebanon to pick up the visa on his behalf. Like, I have always known it's a privilege for this time to be for this time to be german but uh, but the freedom of course uh, to have this passport and to go and come and to fly to to istanbul to take his passport go to beirut it makes you think not just about your own identity what does it mean to have a, a passport or to have not and 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 it makes yeah it it moves someone who's living with this person yeah it, it makes you very aware and very sharp about the about, uh, sensitivity of nationality. Yeah. The plan worked. They made it to Amsterdam, and Ahmed applied for asylum. Those early days weren't easy, but they were kind of getting by. With Ahmed not able to work, they busked in the street with a box at their feet that said, getting married soon. Only a few people dropped coins in, but it didn't seem to bother them. They were more worried about the European cold in a police car lingering nearby. There was still a lot up in the air. Ahmed couldn't really plan. And in Europe, planning is key. Here people, they, they plan the whole year. And that's normal, you know? We couldn't plan like one week in advance. Really, it's like that because you don't know what's happening. And Arab bolts, it's like that, you know. Just you, you wake up, you plan for the breakfast. Trip. You don't, you cannot think about the dinner, you know. Like, like... Back in Lebanon, 
Hasalik was unmoored without their founder. Sam said it was hard when Ahmed left. We felt as like as something is uh, is missing here. And now, now we uh, we had uh, we stopped with Asalik for six months, and now we are com- coming back. They found a way to bounce back. At a bar where you can flout Beirut's indoor smoking ban, Abudi described how important playing music is to him in terms of body and mind. It's like a muscle, you know, like music, theater, any kind of art. It's a muscle in, in our heads. So when we work out this muscle, it stays in shape and like healthy and stuff. When you leave it, it gets rusty and like uh, fat. And in Amsterdam, Ahmed wanted them to keep going too. I don't want this idea of Asalik to disappear because it's sad if they disappear, you know, because we need it. I'm into spreading this idea and keep it going on, you know. And Khayata, he's, uh, he's uh, promised me to, to keep it on, you know. Also because of Salik, like, they need someone to, to, to hold on, you know. With Ahmed gone, most of the responsibility of running a Salik falls to Khayata. He's big and barrel-chested, but his presence is tempered by his hippie clothes and his sing-song voice. On stage, Khayata is a percussionist, so he keeps the beat. And he does that offstage, too organizing events, and making sure people are focusing at practice and they're on time. He also hosts them in his apartment. Hayata's place is up a long, rainbow-painted staircase above a street full of bars. As everyone warms up, you can see the only thing Hayata brought with him from Damascus, a cat with two and a half legs limping around the apartment. Asalik is getting ready for their first show since Ahmed left Lebanon. On the set list is this song, Yaliha, which means Oh Beards. It's a take on a traditional Sufi song, but with lyrics that satirize ISIS and other religious extremists. But shortly into the song, Khayata tells everyone to stop. Yes, yes. Hello. We cannot sing this song, Even at band practice, they're constantly navigating Lebanon's sensitivities as a group of young Syrians. They're in a Christian neighborhood and they are worried that they might catch some flack for playing what sounds like an Islamic anthem. On the night of the concert, Ahmed and Claudia are listening to a live stream of the show from their couch in Amsterdam. Ahmed is pouring tea for us. When the concert starts, Ahmed sings along. It's clear that he misses performing. Back in Lebanon, I go to see Asalik play in a boozy, lefty Beirut neighborhood. Before we head into the theater, I find a booty with his friend. Are you a, are you a fan of the band? No. She is. She's a fan of me, of Khayata, of Inger, of uh, Ahmed Nafouri, of uh, Abudi, of Sam, of everyone. But she's drunk a little bit. You smell like, <laughs> you smell like a bubble of vodka. <laughs> if you had to explain this band to people in America, for instance, how would you describe Shitty. them? Shitty. Don't ever listen to this band. <laughs> then I see Sam. 
He's incredibly nervous. But a well-placed idiom cheers him up a bit. You'll give me break a leg? Break, break a leg. Break a leg? Yeah. Nice, <laughs> What? <laughs> I'm sitting next to a guy who is loving it. Hayata asks the crowd, who here doesn't have a visa sponsor in Lebanon? The guy next to me raises his hand. He's smiling from ear to ear. After the show, I find that same guy smoking outside the theater. It turns out he's Syrian, too. His name is Ayman. He's tall, with long hair, and he's wearing driving gloves. His insufferably hip Lebanese friend is standing next to him. Ayman was skeptical of Asalik at first, but after listening, he says that the music spoke to him personally. He tried to go to Tunis but wasn't able to. And he liked how the song Yaliha confronted the morbid absurdity of ISIS. He wants to see more of a Salik shows. It's months later, and I'm visiting Ahmed and Claudia in their new apartment in Amsterdam. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. And you? I'm good. What's up? Yeah. We're rehearsing. What's that? We're rehearsing. Yeah. After nearly a year of paperwork, Ahmed is finally a legal resident, and he and Claudia are married. Now able to travel for the first time, they went on a honeymoon to Spain, where Ahmed realized one of his dreams. Yeah, we went to Andalusia. We spent like approximately ten days or two weeks. It was fine. It was so nice. Ahmed and Claudia are still playing music together. They sing a lot about what it means to be in a new place and about remembering home. One song they'd like to sing is by the Egyptian great Sheikh Imam. So he he talked about the son in jail, how much he missed the son and how he felt. And uh, actually, like uh, this song, I, I listen to this song sometimes, but I didn't felt anything. But when I came here to Europe, I, I, I really felt, I really know what, what he's talking about because he missed the sun, this feeling of missing... On my first trip to see Ahmed in Amsterdam, I asked him how he thought the war in Syria would end. Ahmed turned to his dark humor. Uh, actually, I thought about this so much things. I have so much like funny stuff. Maybe earthquake. Accidentally, like uh, Bashar al-Assad died. And some some people around and uh, some uh, of ISIS uh, like uh, Baghdadi and those guys. Also now, if Bashar Assad die or like, the, it will not finish because okay, like yeah. l- l- let's say we are doing concert and there is one string of the guitar is it's uh, like pff, broken. Just yeah, the concert will not change because we will continue. You know, Bashar Assad now one string in orchestra. <laughs> They're doing dissonance, you know, like, <laughs> they're doing this war because... When he's being serious, though, Ahmed doesn't think the war in Syria will end. At least not for a long time. And yet somehow, 
pretty much all of the band's songs strike a hopeful note. Yeah, yeah actually all, all of the end of the songs it's have happy end about the future. All of them it's have like the nice end but it's like kind of uh, of hope what, what we hope what we wish you know it's not uh, it's not what is the reality you know one of those songs was written for a syrian street kid in beirut named bilal when ahmed wrote this song bilal was about 12. <laughs> Yeah, actually, Bilal is the small guy who's selling roses in uh, Marm Khail. He's so nice guy. And uh, he's come to me and give me roses, says thank you for the music and the stuff. Ahmed found Bilal smoking one day when he should have been in school. He wrote a song to tease Bilal and to get him to stop smoking. guys start laughing and then he became red, you know, and I say, no, don't do that. And he say, no, and I will stop smoking and uh, be like the good guy. And then, then I did this song for him. The song isn't just about Bilal, but all the young Syrians who have known nothing but war and uncertainty and what they mean for the future. The song closes with, I have a friend named Bilal. Bilal, let's go back home. Let's go back with roses, with love, with passion, and with hope. You, Bilal, you are the national anthem. You, Bilal, will free the country. That was Ground Truth reporting fellow Jad Khalil. You can hear more music and see photos on our website, thegroundtruthproject.org. This episode of Ground Truth was edited and produced by Samantha Fields, with help from Rachel Rohr and Kevin Grant. Sound design by Robert Anderson. Special thanks to Tom Devlin, Phil Rado, Bob Kempf, and Doug Sugertz at WGBH. Also thanks to Alex Ortiz, Alice Fordham, Jonathan Geyer, and Julia Simon. I'm Charles Sennett, the executive editor. We plan on following more stories of the music of refugees this year, and we hope you'll join us next time on Ground Truth. Oh,